Well, you've heard me say it many times. I'd ask you to turn in the Gospel of John. And we'll be considering the final verses in chapter 17. John's Gospel, chapter 17. We are, as I noted before with you, in what is really the Lord's Prayer. It is our <clears throat> Savior in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, approaching the time of his arrest, and he pauses to pray to the Father. And we have, by the gift of revelation, been given insight into his heart and his mind. Initially, he prays for himself, that the Father would glorify him as he glorifies the Father on the cross, and the Father would restore him to the, the glory that he had with the Father before he even came to earth. And then he prayed for the 11 apostles, which in time would be added uh, 12 and 13. And he, the interesting thing about about that is that about a dozen times, depending on their translation, the word guard keep, guard keep came up as he was praying for his apostles. I mean, you don't have to figure out what was on his heart. And he might, they might be guarded, they might be kept. And he also prays for the success of their mission, which is undeniably and historically a fact now that the church spread and grew around the world. And then in the latter part of the prayer, Jesus prayed for us. He now turns his attention to those who would believe. We see that in verse 20. I do not ask for these only, meaning the apostles only, but also for those who would believe in me through their word. And that's you and I this morning as Christians. He's now thinking of us along with the multitudes of those who are in Christ. And last Sunday we looked at the first part of his prayer. It was the first part of his prayer because I didn't have enough time to do uh, the complete prayer. And so I broke it into two Sundays. But last Sunday uh, the first part of his prayer for us is that we would be one. And we notice in verse 23, as he prays, uh, we get the sense that, that they may become perfectly one. This is a process of sanctification. This isn't an immediate event that takes place. This is how the body of Christ and particularly those in the local church, because that's where the body is seen and felt on a daily basis. That's where we are gathered under the, the due diligence of God's word, under leaders and so on, where the, where the ordinances are carried out properly. And, and this is where we experience the body of Christ in reality. And it takes time. It takes repentance. It takes... Uh, seeking the Lord, and it takes 
walking in the fullness of God and humility and truth. It, Jesus prays, I pray that they become one. And the tense is that this is an ongoing, ever-increasing uh, pursuit of ours. Therefore, the apostles are quick to say, pursue peace. Make it all effort to live in the unity of the Spirit. Why? Because it's a process that you and I need to be working on all the time as we uh, walk with our Savior. Now, the second half of the prayer for us is found in verses 24 through to 26. And here we see, uh, I've mentioned it a couple times, we see the heart of the Savior and no clearer words could communicate that than when you read these words, Father, I desire that. So if you have any doubt about the heart of Christ, you, you, they're reflected here in this text. Father, I desire. So with that in mind, let's read the passage, 24 to the end of the chapter, and then I have some comments to make. And uh, may God use his word today to uh, bring the assurance and the confidence that we need to, be, to walk with him. Verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. I, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with, with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Would you join me as we pray one more time? Thank you, Lord, for the privilege it is to gather here, as Josh has said, with your people, face-to-face, -face, able to see one another and experience one another's fellowship pray, Lord, that as our hearts and minds are gathered around this word, that we would all be constrained by your spirit to pray for insight and illumination, and that indeed that <clears throat> these words wouldn't land on hard and stony ground, but they would bear fruit in our lives, and you would be glorified. Help me, I pray, Father, for who is sufficient for these things. And help us to hear. And grant us wills to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. There's three things I want to point out uh, in general terms, if you will, I, or in... Uh, just looking at the, the general frame and the positioning of this, this prayer. 
as I said, Christ is moving deeper into the Garden of Gethsemane. Chronologically, it is very likely that at this point, he will just move off by himself and three times cry to the Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me. John doesn't include that story as the other gospel writers do. But this is a prayer as he's moving in, he's going to, he knows he's going to suffer and die. You just have to glance at what is going to take place next, his arrest and so on. But the intention of his prayer, and I can't be dogmatic about this, but it sure seems to me that he's praying this prayer in a way that the disciples that are with him clearly heard him and were listening. It's almost as if he was praying to the Father, but he knew in the background these 11 were listening. I think he prayed specifically with that in mind, that they were listening. In verse 25, we read his, as his prayer is uttered to the Father, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you. <laughs> do, do, do you get the sense? And these here, they know you. <laughs> They're listening. And, and so as you, as you realize this prayer, and we have the joy of looking at it because of the gift of revelation, they also heard this, I think. Oh, righteous Father, and even these here know you. They were listening. They were tuned in. Secondly, when we look at these verses, 24 to 26, as part of the whole prayer, this morning we're going to see that in all these sentences and phrases, there is one petition. There is only one petition. And that peti petition is worded this way, Father, I desire also that those whom you have given me will be with me where I am. That, that's his prayer. That's the desire on his heart. don't know what that does to you, but we have our Savior moving towards suffering and death, and the final thoughts on his mind before the Father in prayer is, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, will be with me where I am. And then in conjunction with that petition, he makes a promise. And the promise is found in the latter part of the prayer, I will continue to make it known, namely your name. So that's what we're looking at this morning. <clears throat> we're looking at the prayer, Father, I desire that, and the promise. I will continue to make it known. And we're going to unpack that and learn what that 
means. Just one, one final thought for those of you who love to study God's Word and perhaps teach God's Word. You will notice the last phrase in the prayer, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But you notice how the prayer ends, that the love that God the Father has for the Son will be upon those who believe in Jesus Christ. Interestingly, when all this discussion with the disciples started, way back in John 14:1, John said, speaking of Jesus, having loved his own, he loved them to the end. And now at the end of this discourse, Jesus prays that the love of the Father that he has for him would be in his disciples. You see how that forms what we call an inclusio. That's a, that's a whole body of teaching now, bracketed, bookmarked by the fact of God's great and amazing love. In other words, everything in between here is packaged up with a bow on it that says, I love you. Having loved them to the end, Father, I pray that the love you have for me will be in them. What compassion, what absolute affection Christ has for his people. Okay, that's just a, well, that's sort of free. It's just a, some free thoughts. Let's look at the petition in verse 24. Whom you have given me. Notice what it says. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me. This phrase is very much John's. He uses it all through the latter part of his gospel referring to believers whom you have given me. Christians are by definition men and women and boys and girls who are, have been given to the Son by the Father. It connotes all kinds of, of, of issues that people love to argue about, but it most clo closely points to the fact that the people who trust Christ as Savior are indeed the elect of God, God's chosen ones given to his Son. Now, I had someone in a debate with me point out that when in the second part of Jesus' prayer, in John 17, Jesus referred to his disciples as those whom the Father has given me. And he said, well, uh, you see, when Jesus is speaking that way, he's speaking of only the apostles that he chose. And lovingly and kindly, I was able to take him down to these verses. In verse 24, when Jesus is praying for the whole church, and Jesus calls them this, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me. So please don't get distracted. The phrase the that the Father has given a people to the Son refers to everyone who will trust Christ as Savior. They are all part of his chosen elect. 
all believers are people who have been given to the Son by the Father. But more importantly, what does he ask for them? I, that is, that was, I did not throw that in there to have a theological debate. I threw that in so you understand the scope of his prayer. All that the Father has given to the Son. He's everyone. From every generation, every time. All are on his mind here. And he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. This is just tying into the promise he made back in John 15. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I shall return and receive you to myself, and there you will ever be with me. Jesus is repeating the fact that those whom the Father has given the Son, it is his desire that they us be with him forever. Jesus is praying that we would be with Christ in heaven. Let's make no mistake about that. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said if there's one prayer of Jesus that is guaranteed to be answered, it would be this. Of course, all his prayers would be is this, that all who come to Christ in faith, all who have been given by the Father to the Son, Jesus prays, will be with me forever in heaven and bask in his glory, that you might see his glory. The reason I emphasize this is I don't want you to miss this. We think of heaven as a place that is full of peace and tranquility and, and happiness, uh, an overwhelming sense of happiness. We think of heaven as a place where there will be no more cancer. We think of heaven as a place where there will be no more disease and struggles. We think of heaven as a place where all the struggles and turmoils of this world will be immediately vacated. But Jesus describes heaven in this verse as a place where you're with me, with me. Dr. John Piper has preached a sermon that has become viral where he points out the fact that if Jesus isn't in heaven, there is no heaven. And so this causes me to ask the question, is this really what's on my heart and on my mind? Is my uppermost thought through these days. Oh, I want to be with Jesus. I confess to you that I struggle as you might this morning. I'm longing for the no more pain and longing for the no more sorrow and longing for the no more disease and longing for the no, no more uh, relational breakups and problems. And I've been somewhat challenged by this passage, and as I present it to you, the question comes to me, Jim, 
but do you want to see Jesus? Is the uppermost reason we want and desire heaven is to be with Jesus? I thought of that song that I learned as a, at a camp when I was just a young teen. Heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. I want to see what? My Savior's face. Heaven is a wonderful place. I want to go there. I'd ask you to consider this carefully. Is it the desire to see Jesus? uppermost in your mind? Or is it just to get rid of some pain and suffering? Which isn't a bad idea, is it? But is Jesus uppermost in your mind? Face to face with Christ my Savior, face to face, what shall it be? Oh, with rapture I behold him. Jesus Christ who died for me. Oh, that the Spirit of God would anoint, anoint us such this morning that we would be a people, including me, a people who just live for one thing, is to see the face of our Savior. Don't miss that in this text. But we're not finished yet. Because Jesus prays this prayer, and then he grounds it in a reason. Look again with me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me. Now watch, do you have a word because in your Bible? You should. Because you love me, before the foundation of the world. Jesus is praying to the Father and he's asking that the church who have trusted in him, his body, would be with him forever, basking in his glory. And why would he ask that? On what ground would he ask that? Answer because of the love the Father has for him. He's appealing to the Father based on the Father's love for him. Let me put this in plain English. The day the Father stops loving the Son is the day when you have no hope of going to heaven. This is profound. I am not intentionally moving into a theological debate. It's in the text, and I'm not going to run from it. The assurance of your future destiny as a Christian in heaven is based entirely on the love the Father has for the Son. And the moment that the Father stops loving the Son, you lose your assurance. Now, I ask you, Christian, just in your logical mind, when is that going to happen? 
when is it ever going to happen that the Father will stop loving the Son? It's an impossibility. So when Christ prays, I, I desire that they whom you've given me will be with me where I am to see me in all my glory because you love me. When is that promise ever going to change? This gives us incredible assurance of dying and going to heaven with Christ. It removes every single possibility of it not happening. There is absolutely no event, no thing, no person that can hinder a believer born of the Spirit called by, the, by God into fellowship with his son, there is not a single event in the planet that can halt that person spending eternity with Jesus. Because it's all founded on the eternal love between the Father and the Son. That's mind-boggling. That's mind-boggling. So as Paul says, be of good courage. We would rather be away from the body than at home with the Lord. That's the hope of the Christian. That's the petition that Jesus prayed for. The next two verses form the promise that he makes. What is the promise? Well, I already mentioned it to you. Let's read verses 25 and 26 again. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and here's the promise, I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So what is the promise? It is that between earth and heaven, between the time we are on earth until the time where the prayer is answered and we are with Jesus, Jesus is going to be constantly manifesting the name of the Father to us. You say, and rightly so, I ask the same question, what does that mean? What does that mean to live life today, even today, with the promise that, the, that our Savior is going to be constantly revealing the Father's name to us? What does that mean? Well, in a general sense, what it means is that Christ, through the Holy Spirit, is constantly revealing the character and the attributes and the goodness and the wonder of God to our hearts every, every day. Every day we have this promise being lived out. That's what it means generally. It means that I can expect as a Christian and you can expect as a Christian that to get up every day and have this, this impression of the Holy Spirit upon our hearts 
about the greatness and the goodness and the wonder of God the Father pushed against our hearts every day. But in my opinion, it's, it's specific. I look at the text, as you will, and you see in verse 25, Jesus prays for, for the only time he ever uses this phrase. He never uses this phrase in prayer exactly like this ever in any other place. He prays, O righteous Father. And then he makes the promise, I will manifest your name, and I would argue the righteous name of, of God the Father, to the hearts of believers every day until they get to heaven with with us. In other words, Jesus says, Father, I pray that believers will be with me where I am, and until then, I promise through my Spirit to keep impressing them with your righteousness. Is that starting to come clear? Is the scrambled brain of a Scotsman starting to make sense to you? That Jesus is praying that between now and heaven, I promise that on an ongoing basis, I'm going to impress upon your church the, your righteousness. I'm going to impress upon your church that everything you do is right that all your ways are righteous, that all your will, every aspect of your will is righteous, that everything you ordain is righteous, everything you allow is righteous, everything you prescribe is righteous. Do you see where what this is happening? And does not that make great sense to you, knowing your need and my need this morning, that as we go through the days, as we see headlines and news reports, as we, as we uh, engage with friends and family who are going through difficult times, is it not good to know that Jesus is constantly manifesting the righteousness of God to our hearts, reminding us that everything he does is right? And that's the one message that's going to take Jim McClellan from this earth to heaven. And I'm not going to conjure it up myself, and neither are you. As a child of God this morning, you have the promise of the Savior saying, on an ongoing basis, I'm going to manifest the name, the righteous name, the righteousness of the Father to your heart. People that believe that write these kinds of poems. My father's way may twist and turn. My heart may throb and ache. But in my soul I'm glad I know he maketh no mistake. My cherished plan may go astray. My hopes may fade away. But still I trust in my Lord to lead for he knows for he knows the way. 
Though night be dark, it may seem that day will never break. I'll pin my faith, my all in him. He maketh no mistake. If I take this language, which is somewhat sophisticated, somewhat hard to, 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 to explain and understand, if I just say it in these terms to you, beloved, if I say, Jesus has prayed to the Father that you will be with him in heaven forever, and until then, he's going to be constantly reminding you that he never makes a mistake. Isn't that phenomenal comfort? preaching in another church, somebody would likely say hallelujah. Somebody would. I can't interpret this any different than that. O righteous Father, I will keep manifesting your name, your righteousness. You don't make mistakes. You do all things right. Why? Why would Jesus promise to do that? Why? Well, again, we just see the, we, we have the wonder of the English Bible that helps us understand. I made known to them your name and will continue to make it known. Why? That the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. To put this in just very clear tones, beloved, I, I believe the text is teaching us that Jesus promises the Father that he will constantly manifest the righteousness of God to his children so that they will know his love. It seems logical to me that when you and I go through days that twist and turn, that are full of aches and pains and darkness and sadness and disappointment, and we're reminded by God the Holy Spirit that he does all things right, and he is right even though we don't understand it, that the righteousness of God is impressed upon our heart, that should conjure up in us an amazing sense of affection for Jesus Christ and his plans and purposes for our lives. The petition that we would forever be with him is then followed by this promise that he will constantly impress us with his righteousness, resulting in an experience of knowing the love of the Father, an experience of knowing the love of the Father. When we started the service this morning, we were called to worship by the words of Jesus. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am lowly and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Christian, there's no greater rest for your soul than right here. 
Father, I will that all whom you have given me will be with me. And Father, I will continue to manifest your righteous name to them so that they might know of your love. I might be speaking to someone here this morning in the auditorium or someone online and you don't know Jesus Christ as rest for your soul. You don't know a person who loves you to this extent that he would give up heaven's glory and come to earth and live a life that you should have lived and I should have lived to die on a cross that I should have died on and you should have died on. You don't really know a Savior who on the third day rose again and gave his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to everyone who believes so that we might have the down payment of a relationship with God, God in us, you might be listening and you don't know of a Savior who says to all who have trusted in him, it's my desire that you be with me where I am. If you don't have that comfort in your soul, I would ask you to turn to Jesus Christ. I commend him to you. I will not promise that the roads won't twist and turn. I will not promise that the aches will be less and the pain will be none. I do not promise that darkness won't come at times. But I do promise that he will keep you and comfort you. And he will constantly remind you in ways that you find absolutely unbelievable that God is right in everything he does and that will cause joy and happiness and love to be produced in your heart which is so sad and so full of despair I invite you to come to Christ and trust him as your Savior. Turn from your sin. Repent of your sin. Forsake your sin. And embrace the cross. And for everyone who does, whether you did that 50 years ago or five minutes ago, you can go to bed every night. I would like to say for me every night, but it's a lot of nights. Many years ago, I read the sermon by C.H. Spurgeon on this text. And I've never forgotten it. That as I put my head on my pillow, the prayers of my Savior say, Father, I would that he be with me where I am. There's no greater comfort. So come, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and Jesus will give you rest. 
Let's bow our heads as we pray and invite the worship team to come and lead us in a closing song. Father, I pray for anxious souls. I pray for those who are concerned. Have I done enough? Have I been good enough? Does my goodness outweigh my badness? Is God going to accept me. Lord, I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, remind us that there's no one good enough. There's no one right enough. There's no one pure enough. Except Jesus Christ, the Son of God. For those of us who have placed our faith in him and his work, he graciously gives us his righteousness. And so we stand before you this someday, Father in heaven, and if you were to ask us, why should I let you in? We answer honestly, you shouldn't. There's no good reason why you would let sinners into heaven. Except that they are clothed in the righteousness of God. And secondly, Father, your Son has prayed that we would see you. And you will never not answer the prayer of your Son. Until that day, Father, we live by faith. We live knowing that all things that come our way are come through the righteous, determining will of a loving God and Father. And we long to be with you. We long to gaze upon your glory. We long to see you face to face. Give us strength and joy until that day appears when we will be like you. For we will know you with clarity that we don't know now. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.